Namotasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambudasa Namotasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambudasa Namotasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambudasa Buddham Dhamang Sangang Namasami So some thoughts on Dhamma for you tonight. I hope, uh, I hope it's helpful. I had a little fun with this, kind of reflecting on how we get into the various tangles and messes that we get into <laughs> and seeing, see if we can see through this, un- unravel some of what's going on here. So sometimes um, you're sitting there minding your own business and you find yourself lost in one mind state or another. Maybe uh, it, it could be a reaction to some physical sensation. could be the physical sensation started it off. Um, there might be a memory or, you know, depending on the tendency of the mind, you might have a tendency to get lost in fantasies a lot or vendettas, you know, the flip side of that, just sitting here stewing about difficult people, difficult uh, people in our lives or, or situations. And uh, all of these being one way or the other, painful or, or pleasant. And we can get lost in these for periods of time. But then as meditators, uh, what we do is every now and then you snap out of it, don't you? <laughs> and then in that moment when we snap out, then there can be kind of a, you know, watch it and see what happens. There can be kind of like a mad scramble in the mind where you do some kind of fancy footwork and, and try to recover some semblance of awareness or mindfulness in that moment, just as, as we move out of the, the, the difficult state. And then it's right there often at that moment when we have pulled out that um, you might form this thought, you know, that ha- what happened? <laughs> how did I get there? You know, wh- what, what was going on? How did, how, did all that, uh, how did all that mess begin? And so the, the answer to this question really depends on the level of non-attachment that's, uh, that's operating in us at every given, any given moment. So when we're not standing back very far, you know, when the attachment is quite strong, then um, often just trying to answer that question can start you spinning out with the issue again, with whatever it was. So I've watched sometimes and just seen this kind of thing in my own mind. Maybe one is lost in thinking about a difficult person you know, about what a, what a jerk my boss is or something like that, you know? And then you ask the question, well, how did that happen? Well, he really is a jerk, you know? <laughs> That's how it happened, you know? Every time I think of him, I go nuts thinking about the way that he is, and I spin out and go bonkers with it. Or, or maybe it's a, some issue, you know, that's going on in our lives. And you say, well, how did that happen? Well, it's an issue, you know, it really is an issue. And one can get tangled and get all caught up in it again, just spinning right back into it. And these thoughts of, 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 uh, that sort of manifest as this entanglement, it just really seemed to be intended to address uh, the issue or concern. But really, uh, it just ends up being a lot of thinking and a lot of justifying. You know, one of the first times I saw this very clearly was one time at the monastery when, uh, some years ago, when there was this very difficult guy there. And, uh, you know, he would just uh, create a lot of ill will in all of the 
guests and, and even some of the monastics uh, trying to deal with him. And so I would try to stop thinking about him and try to stop thinking about what a jerk that he was, you know. And, but then every time I did, it only made me more sure that he really was, you know. And so you could just see yourself getting caught up in all of this. And so I'd, I'd ask myself, uh, how did I get here? And the answer would come back, well, because people like that shouldn't be here at the monastery, you know. And you could see how very superficial the, the way of being with it is. I'm still very, very much tangled. And I would go into these long litanies in my mind about uh, how somebody should do something about it. Somebody should do something about this person. So that's obviously a very, very superficial level of, of probing. You know, one is still very, very much entangled in what's going on. And obviously we could do a lot better. But sometimes, I mean, take it to another level. I, I find that I'm asking people, um, maybe they're lost in a particular mood or a mind state, and I might uh, ask them to inquire. And look, see, how did you get there? How did that happen? And uh, the answer will come back often in very um, psychological or historical uh, terms. You know, basically what they'll be saying, uh, and this is uh, really strong, I think, in Westerners. We seem to have a very strong propensity for looking at things through these particular kinds of lenses. So maybe the response will come back more like, uh, well, you know, I got, I got all caught up in this because, you know, when I was little, I had to fight for everything I ever needed. And uh, so I end up greeting life as if it's some kind of battlefield. You know, there's always this fight mode in me. Or we might think about um, maybe our parents, you know, weren't very supportive. Or, you know, they weren't supportive of us, of us when we were young. And so uh, we end up not having a lot of confidence. So when things come up that, that stir up a feeling of doubt and confusion, then it's easily, it's a hook. We get very tangled. And so we explain it that way. You know, or, or maybe maybe my eighth grade teacher embarrassed me in front of the whole school assembly, and I was standing there feeling so powerless and so helpless, and and that feeling never left me. And so now I have all this powerless issues and uh, confidence issues going on to this day. And so you know we're trying to understand, trying to explain the entanglements that we get into, and, and going back into our history. And, and looking at uh, where they may have the roots, this kind of thing. It's not uncommon. As I said, I think it's particularly strong in, in, in Westerners because we, we have that kind of orientation. So, so the thing is that there, there may be a lot of truth to all that. You know, there, these, um, uh, what we're experiencing now may have its basis in these kinds of uh, psychological or historical uh, events or experiences. You know, some of our attachments may have their basis in childhood events, and, and they may be activated by the conditions of the moment at any given time. And this is part of their lure. You know, there's, some, there's this bit of truth in all of that. Uh, and, and so that uh, it, 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 we're dancing around and can't quite see it, but dancing around somewhat superficial level, but uh, that's, that's where we are, and so that's how we get pulled in. And, and uh, often, then, when that happens, there'll be a, a lot of lingering in the suffering that's associated with these kinds of memories. So I, I don't want to diminish that. There is a lot of suffering that's associated with our history, 
in our psychology, you know, and, and sometimes even as meditators in, in practice, we do pause and go into that. You know, if you were a fly on the wall at any given moment, sometimes it can, it's so what goes on in a meditation interview can look a lot like what's going on in a psychotherapist's office because people are trying to touch the pain of a lot of undigested suffering you know, undigested difficulties. And, you know, for myself, I was very surprised at this when I first started meditating. I thought, oh my God, it's just, it's just, a con- it's just all this bubbling up and bubbling up of, of, of pain and difficulty from the past. And I thought I was going to have to go through everything, every pain I had ever experienced in my life and go through it all over again. It's like, oh my God, <laughs> you know, I wasn't it bad enough. I had to go through it once, you know. And now it's all, it's all coming up. But so there is a, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of difficulty. There's a lot of, of pain that, that comes up. But we have to know that just going into um, past events like this, sort of the mind making associations with difficulties we're having now and trying to draw on our history to explain or understand it, this is one of the ways that the mind deflects the attention from the moment. It's just, it, it, it's, it's, it's like it, what we're experiencing may be so difficult, and so what it does is it makes an association, it calls upon a memory, and it pulls up similar things where we had that feeling before. And, and so and then it starts to create a story, and then we get into the story, you know? But, but all of that, if you can feel it and watch it, it's just fascinating to watch. It's, it's deflecting the attention from the only place where we can actually do anything about it, which is right here and right now, just being with that, this experience. So it, it's interesting. I mean, you know, these, these kinds of memories can offer a lot of uh, intellectual and, and emotional understanding, but we have to know that the greatest possibility for freedom is going to be found um, in just staying current and present with what is, with what uh, is the condition of this moment and trying to be with the experience of this moment. And if we don't see this, then we not only suffer from uh, the current issue, but we actually compound it with memories and stories uh, about the past. It's a, I saw it one time as like, like a, uh, sitting on a bus one time in, in, in London, and these two ladies were having a conversation about their, their um, various surgeries. And, and each one was trying to up the other one with, well, you think that's bad. Where do you see this scar? And, you know, you think that's bad. You should see what I went through, you know. And this is kind of what the mind does. It's like, here you are in pain. And it goes, no, wait a minute. You think that's bad. Remember the time in eighth grade? Remember the time when you were 20, you know? And it, and it just brings it all in and, and brings it to bear. And, and, the, and, you know, you think you were in pain to begin with. Now it's like it's a... It's building a whole world. And uh, none of it is actually uh, being entered. <laughs> you know, we're, we're living in a, in a story about it all and deflecting the uh, attention in this way. So uh, it's interesting because uh, while a lot of, um, you know, these kinds of psychological and historical analyses can, can be very interesting when we get caught up in them then uh, it, it tends to just keep us dancing around in constructed realms. It, it's storyland. 
you know, and it's a, it's a, it's a place to hang out. And the mind is, is just uh, uh, sort of um, uh, in subtle ways, in the only ways it knows how, trying to get, actually get away from actually being in what's happening. And we just go round and round with it all. So, uh, you know, one of the things I've seen happen also at this point, which is quite common, is that, uh, you know, we leave the topic of concern altogether just out of frustration. You can watch this happen and, and then get into, you know, what I, what I call my what's wrong with me syndrome, you know. It's like, blah, 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 blah. oh, man, what is wrong with me? I am so dot, 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 you know. And it, it, it just, uh, uh, so you, you've left the topic, but now you're going in, in a whole other direction that's still spinning and, and still lost in um, a, a superficial level. Now, now I really have some issues. I have all these issues from my past, and there's really something wrong with me. <laughs> it's wild, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, does anybody else see this stuff? <laughs> it's, it's amazing to me to, to, to witness uh, sitting here as we do, as we meditate. So I want to get into all of that. I want to look at another way, um, uh, sort of how Buddha, uh, the Buddhist practice helps us with all of that. But, but, uh, but first, I just want to consider one of the teachings that I have found very helpful, especially if any of this rings true for you, is some of the stuff that goes on in your practice. And, and this is um, the, uh, the teaching of rebirth. And, and it can help us just stop getting lost in all of our history and all of the stories, so much, at least for me it has, and that's why I wanted to share some of my reflections on this. It's because I realize some people really resist this whole idea of rebirth, <laughs> and, and fair enough, you know, I mean, who can really know? I mean, even the teachings say that, uh, you know, unless you develop the mind uh, in a way such that you uh, have psychic powers where you can actually recall past lives, and know uh, them as uh, recollection, as memories, uh, then you can't really know if this, uh, if this is true. You know, but it is a, a, a very important uh, part of the Buddhist teachings. It's integral, really. Uh, and, and so we have to, I, I think we, should, we have to at least consider it. And this is one of the areas where I have found considering it to be incredibly helpful. You know, when, when we're looking at our karmic habits and patterns, um, we, we tend to think of these solely in terms of this lifetime, you know, and, and, uh, and that can be a pitfall, you know, but, but just uh, consider the possibility that uh, our patterns and any of the patterns and habits that we're, we're dealing with now um, may be rooted in some previous existence. You know, it puts a whole different spin on it all. Uh, especially if we have a tendency to get entangled with our history and we're looking at our history only in terms of this lifetime. You know? So if, if it's just this lifetime, then you, you can easily um, uh, conclude that we are the way we are because uh, of things that have been cultivated or experienced uh, in, in this particular lifetime. And, and rebirth doesn't deny that, those kinds of influences, because uh, we're constantly creating karma. <laughs> So there's a, there's a lot of karma that's been created uh, in this lifetime. That there's there's no questioning that, but but um, 
just considering that uh, all uh, that our patterns are are deeply entrenched and, and may be rooted in previous lives, it can be very very helpful in in a in a funny kind of way, just to depersonalize what it is that we're experiencing. And that's where it's most helpful, just to be able to, to let go a little bit uh, of what it is that's happening for us in this lifetime. And this, this hit me particularly in my early 40s when um, I was spending some time with my parents. And uh, it was a very deliberate effort uh, to go and spend some time with them because um, I was sick and tired of being annoyed with them. <laughs> I was, you know, uh, always thinking about like uh, their shortcomings and how they messed me up, you know, <laughs> because uh, because they weren't enlightened. Then I, I had all these issues, you know, and and uh, I wanted to uh, very deliberately go and. Uh, be with them and, and try to understand that and, and try to make peace with that. But I'd also already been introduced to the Buddhist teachings. And, and um, while I was there, and as I said, tired of, of blaming and criticizing them for me being the way I am, I was reflecting on, on this teaching of rebirth. And it suddenly hit me in a very powerful way that... Um, Maybe I'm not the way I am because of them. Maybe they are the way they are because of me. <laughs> and, and what I mean by that is, is that, you know, did I come in with a clean slate and they messed me up? Or, you know, when I looked at my five sisters and I and how different we all were living in the same world, you know, and, and yet so diverse, I mean, maybe we didn't come in with a clean slate, you know. Maybe we had patterns and habits that were already very well established. And, and maybe in a way that there's a, there, there's a magnetism that's drawn to people and situations where uh, one could continue to learn, continue to work with those patterns and uh, move in the direction of freedom. So, I mean, I don't know, you know, I don't have answers, but I share this more because of the power that it had for me. And maybe it's a 40-something thing, I don't know. But for me, it just moved me through and freed me in my relationship, not only with parents, but all of the people from the past who I thought in some way had done me harm or in some way made me uh, the way I was, and uh, particularly when the way I was was unattractive, you know, and and I, I was filled with this enormous uh, sense of forgiveness <laughs> and uh, spaciousness, you know. I, I felt like uh, I, I even had the thought, you know, oh, I have just totally freed mom and dad. <laughs> They're free. <laughs> it's such a great feeling. They're free, and I'm free in relation to all of that, you know. And just from contemplating uh, this uh, possibility uh, of rebirth and the implications of it, you know. Just, and, 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 you know, I realize it's tricky because, um, you know, many people have been ill-treated in this lifetime, <laughs> You know, and, and that certainly raises some questions. But still, it, it remains that bringing rebirth um, into the equation can, can just help us 
put all of our attention and all of our energy into looking at what is and, and, and uh, what's happening now instead of constantly spinning out w- with thoughts and ideas about how we got this way. You know, it, it's, it's just, um, it, it's a crosstown bus. <laughs> you know, it's just not that helpful. It's not that there, there isn't uh, some value in it, but from a meditative perspective, we want to get more precise and more uh, into the phenomenology of what's happening rather than uh, the, the storyline of it all. It's a, it, the, the whole process of waking up is predicated on direct experience, which, which then that means our seeing has to get in, incredibly precise. And, and uh, so we've got to lose all the blame and the, the self-analysis and all the, the spinning that's generated from dancing around in realms that are way too superficial for awakening. <laughs> you know, just just get, it, get it down to where it's real. So, so Buddhism really helps us uh, come at this from a, from a much more present time perspective. In a way, I, I, I think it says, it, it doesn't matter how you got the way you are. And it doesn't matter how you are. <laughs> These are kind of irrelevant issues in, in Buddhist practice. So our task is just to tune in to the moment-to-moment experience and, and know what's happening in the most precise way that we can. So just try to lose all the ideas about the, what is or the way, the way it is or the way it got that way. And just get in there and look. That's the invitation. And, and sort out experience. And I like that because it's like, it's, oh, <laughs> you just kind of let go of uh, a lot of the spinning from this kind of approach. Years ago, I was talking to one of the monks, and, and he told me that his practice really took off when he realized how helpful it was to just keep getting stupider and stupider. <laughs> that really stuck with me, you know. Don't know, don't have any idea. Just look. <laughs> just look and see. And try to be precise in that looking. So when we, when we look, what do we see? And I just want to pull in one of the, really what's become one of the most famous uh, suttas in the Pali Canon. I know Sky had mentioned it uh, the other day. Uh, it's one from the Yodana, where the, the Buddha describes what is the extent of our experience. And he's talking to uh, this uh, man named Bahia. And he says, Bahia, you should train yourself thus. In reference to the scene, there will only be the scene. In reference to the heard, only the heard. In reference to the sensed, only the sensed. In reference to the cognized, only the cognized. That is how you should train yourself. So as, as far as human experience is concerned, um, this is the extent of it. <laughs> you know, it, it might be the case that other kinds of beings have different kinds of consciousness and different kinds of experience, we don't know. But it's when, it, when it comes to humans, this is the way it is. That's how it plays out. And this sutta is often used to 
it really summarize what's real or what exists um, and, uh, according to the, the Buddhist teachings. And that's what it does, you know. But uh, I, I think it's, it's uh, you know, when you look at, just pick apart the, what he's saying here a little bit more, it, it's, I think it's, a, it's not so much a, a theoretical statement about what is or how things exist, but um, really, I, I think the Buddha is very clearly offering to this man who is unbeknownst to him about to die, <laughs> you know, um, an instruction, a, a very precise instruction as to how to train. This is how you train. You know, and he, he says, uh, you should train yourself thus, <laughs> in reference to the scene and so forth. This is how you should train yourself. That, that to me, is the emphasis here. In the scene, there's only the, that which is seen. But then, and then he goes on, and, and, uh, and then the, the next part of the sutta, he goes on to promise something really astounding to me. You know, it basically said, okay, that's how you do it. And if you do it, this is what happens. He says, um, when for you there will be only the scene in reference to the scene, only the heard in reference to the heard, only the sensed in reference to the sensed, only the cognized in reference to the cognized, then, Bahia, there will be no you in terms of that. <laughs> when there is no you in terms of that, there will be no you there. When there is no you there, uh, you are neither here nor yonder nor between the two. This, he says, and just this, uh, is the end of suffering. It's like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, he nails it in uh, a very uh, short and pithy uh, statement. So in other words, what he's saying is this is, when you can see in this way, this is where you're going to, where you cut through the whole I, me, mine level of things. That this incredible propensity for self-absorption that manifests as, as our craving and delusion. You know, we're, we're able to, to keep the attention. When, when we can do that, then we're, when, just look and see. When there's no grabbing of what is, when the mind isn't having something to say about it, do something with it, go somewhere with it, make a story about it when all of that has been, has been cut through, then uh, you're able just to keep the attention on the object. <laughs> it's, it's not uh, lost in, in any way. Uh, what is, is being seen and known very directly. And this is the only place where uh, we have the potential for wisdom, for understanding, and, and uh, for freedom from suffering. I mean, he's really pointing us right there. So, I mean, we can go through all these levels of, of thinking about another time, another way, and we can analyze our current situation in terms of the past. We can imagine how it might be someday, some way, all of that. And, and, uh, but we have to know, as Buddhist practitioners, that, that none of that will actually get us free from suffering. You know, we have to know that. This is to be learned. This is to be seen for ourselves. 
uh, each of us individually. So all of this kind of thinking is, is what um, the, the Buddha calls is interesting uh, phrase, turn of uh, uh, words here. He calls it the tides of conceiving. I, I like that. I've been chewing on that one a bit lately. <laughs> the tides of conceiving. I like the image because of the whole idea of the wave. Just feels that that's that's what it feels like is happening. You know, the, the, this uh, you 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 take the bait. You get lost in a lot of the papancha, the proliferation about it all, and and the the, the content of that, it's like a, it's like a wave, the, the content of that being uh, an incessant habit towards conceiving. And uh, the, the tides of conceiving uh, are uh, the thoughts and the notions the, uh, that are originating, all originating from uh, the roots of craving, the wanting of things that aren't happening, the wanting things to be some other way, the grabbing hold of what is uh, and, and holding it with that death grip, uh, doing something with it. Um, the, uh, the root of conceit or comparing, uh, comparing what's happening right now to other times and places, to other conditions, to other people. You know? Uh, and uh, the, the tendency to form views, the forming of views uh, about what is or what ought to be, all of that kind of activity. So these, these three roots of craving, conceit, and views, this is what the, the Buddha is referring to as the, the, the roots of papancha, the, the, the tides of conceiving. And... Uh, these three ways uh, of relating to experience, you know, look and see, they so dominate what's happening that that's where we live, essentially. It's a dominant feature of the unawakened mind. It's not an indictment. You know, it's, not, it's not a criticism. It's just the way that it is. That's the way the mind is when it's lost in, in delusion. And so the Buddha is saying that without wisdom and understanding as to what the heck is going on in here, uh, 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 sorting through um, the tangled mess that we, we see in the, in the mind, uh, without a, a honesty, a, a very sincere um, uh, uh, willingness to, to, to see what's happening and not, uh, not take exception to it or just totally be clear and honest about what is happening in the mind at any given time without the capacity to let go and without the capacity to, to train the mind in the direction of, of peace and, and stillness, then these tides of conceiving will persist in overtaking the mind. That's, that's the way it's going to, it's kind of like the way it's been is the way it's going to be. And uh, unless, of course, we practice and we do know how to practice and we do it well. So, I mean, it's kind of an apt dis, uh, uh, description of how things can go, isn't it? <laughs> that's, that's where the mind uh, is often dwelling. So, um, from, a, from a Buddhist perspective, when we ask, you know, how, how did I get here? Then you start to begin to see how it is that... Uh, we're taking a very different um, view of things as Buddhist practitioners. Uh, 
So uh, first of all, um, just applying what we know from the teachings. Uh, you know, you begin, you, you observe this from moment to moment for yourself. Um, from the moment that we're born until the moment that we die, we are constantly bombarded at the sense doors. There is a sight, a sound, a smell, a taste, a touch, a thought, a feeling. And it just seeing, hearing, smelling, taste, touch, think, feeling, seeing, hearing, smelling, taste, touch, think, constant. It's constant. You, know, you can't get out of it. <laughs> it, it goes with the, with the territory of, of being born. And, and that's, a, that's the way it is. And, and the, these are firing, if you will, uh, from one, one moment to the next. And uh, the thing is, and what we don't see until uh, we practice and enjoy the fruits of practice, is that this is all very impersonal. This is, this is just the way it is. It's, it's, it's kind of like, uh, how do the body and mind operate? Well, this is, this is how it operates. There, there's an experience at these very various levels. And, um, but we, we latch on to them in, in one way or another and, and make it all very, very personal. And so the, the practice is one of trying to uh, develop enough non-attachment to stand back from that whole process uh, such that we can see into its nature. But <clears throat> uh, it, it just takes understanding it. So, so watch and see, you know, how is all of this happening? The, the various experiences at these levels firing uh, from one moment to the next. Uh, partly uh, it's due to what's going on in the external world, uh, what comes at us from the external world. And partly it's due for, for, to what's going on internally, to what's arising in, in our bodies and in our minds. But in, in the first order of business as we practice is to try to, to uh, stop controlling all of this, to try to sit back and relax enough around in the presence of it to just let it be and notice uh, just what is happening in a, in a very precise way. So, but we don't, we, we tend not to do that, you know, we, we, we tend to try to control both the external world and the internal world. You know, a number of you have been talking about just seeing the uh, high degree of effort that goes into controlling our world and trying to manage it so that we can make it all uh, nice and make it all the way that, that we want. So, so we, we can try to control the external world. But you can go crazy trying to do that, you know. It, it, it's maybe in, in retreat centers and, and at monasteries, we, we actually do try to set up to manage some of the conditions a bit. But that's being done for the express purpose of sort of diminishing the stimulation so that you can see things more clearly. You know, it's not because there's a, there's a, it, it, it needs to be that way uh, in any... Uh, uh, you know, in any way beyond that. It's just what we're trying to do to help support the practice. So that, um, you know, we, we only have certain kinds of people come here, people who know about this practice and can conduct themselves accordingly. And we, you know, we try to keep things simple so that the mind uh, isn't constantly stimulated and drawn out into stories, you know. So the, the, the environment is very simple. You know, we don't have a lot of high-end decorating going on <laughs> around here. 
you know, it's all very simple. The meals are simple, and try to try to keep everything um, uh, somewhat uh, contained, so that. Uh, but it's all in the effort to to support us in our practice, to to keep the stimulation down. But you know, as one of the monks said one time, and that that's all well and good. But then you plug people into it, <laughs> you know. And, and you can get some burps and things popping out at the seams, you know, and, and everybody can go a little bonkers for a little bit when that, when that, when that happens. But, um, you know, in the end, so in the end, you can try to control things, but people, people are what they are. And, and they do what they do. <laughs> and uh, in, in the end, um, at some point, we, we just have to be with it, don't we? So, you know, you can do that with our lives, too. We just, you can try to manage, try to control it. But in the end, we, we just have to be with it. And we can try to control the, the inner world, you know, and, and, uh, but we can't do much there, either. You know, look and see. You know, the, the body does what it does. A number of you have been sick, you know, lately. You just, you can't do much about that. You just have to attend be a steward, uh, a good steward for the body. This is what the body does. You know, it gets sick, it gets old, it has hot flashes, things like this, you know. You just can't do much about these things. Um, And uh, so that's the, the body, but then when it comes to the mind, there's the sankaras. And, you know, you, you can go nuts trying to control all of that. Trying to try to control what arises in the mind, you can control the, the patterns and habits that arise in your mind. You know they, they arise; they're going to arise, and even when you tell them not to, <laughs> that's the way it is. You may have noticed that you know you don't get free smacking yourself around and trying to not be the way that you are. You know, the, the, the sakharas, the states of mind, the habits, the karmic patterns, don't respond to that kind of control. Yeah? <laughs> and so, uh, you know, the, sooner or later, one gets the picture to, to practice that uh, it, it's better to just look and see what's there than to try to make... Uh, uh, manage the, the states of mind or to try to be some way other than the way that we are. So our, our first job then is to just uh, try to stop controlling what arises in the mind and what arises in the body and get it that our task is just to let go and to see what's happening and see it phenomenologically. Yeah? I don't know about you, but it, it, it t- took me some time to sort of get that, <laughs> you know. And practice for many years was a, a struggle, a battlefield. Because, uh, I mean, the good news is we're seeing what's going on. Uh, the bad news is that we, a lot of what we're seeing isn't attractive. We don't want it to be that way. And so there's a, it, it becomes a battlefield. It becomes a struggle. And we, that manifests in so many different ways. So all of our work and practice is predicated on developing enough stillness, enough sense of ease and relaxation, enough mindfulness and non-attachment 
just to do what the Buddha instructs in the four foundations of mindfulness. You know, they're, they're both, that's the means and the end in a way. But to see the sensations in the body, see the feelings, the various, uh, the constant parade of pleasant and unpleasant feelings, uh, to see the thoughts, the moods, the mind states, the karmic patterns, the habits, uh, the, the moments when we see things clearly, the moments when we don't, you know, to see all of this with uh, uh, the highest degree of impartiality that we can muster, just to see it and, and leave it at that. And, and so the, the, the practice then is to, to position ourselves. And it's, it's kind of like an, an, in an on-looking manner, from an on-looking perspective. And to hold that as cleanly as we can uh, so that uh, you can contemplate the experience, the direct experience of the body and the direct experience of the mind. And just know what's happening in and of itself. And, and trust, and this was a biggie, at least for me it has been, to, to just trust that it's all in that. <laughs> you know, the, the things that they say on the first day of your first meditation retreat, you know, relax, pay attention. If you wander, try not to criticize, <laughs> try not to judge. Just, you know, regroup, come back, you know. It took me about 15 years to get it that they really meant that. <laughs> it seems so basic and so ordinary, but it's kind of like you have to go through all these machinations to come to the same conclusion for yourself. At least I have. You know, we have to figure it out that uh, this is the way to practice. And uh, anything that I'm adding to that is actually complicating the whole process. And if I could just let go and trust and give myself over to that, then everything, literally everything that needs to happen, everything that I need to see will happen, will take place. Uh, if I just give myself over to that, that simple um, approach to it all. And, and, and I will be able to not only see the various experiences of the body mind, and mind, but the mind will contemplate those in due time according to Dhamma. <laughs> it will see it in terms of Dhamma. You know, Ajahn Chah would say, it gets so rich, so full, that eventually all you see is Dhamma. <laughs> You're just seeing it all uh, in terms of Dhamma. So with, with, with mindfulness, then, and this sense of ease and, and non-attachment, we can be aware of sensory experience and, and, and not make it more than that. And so what we're trying, all we're trying to do here is just slow it down enough uh, to, to heighten our awareness enough and to direct the, the attention enough to see um, that, indeed, what the Buddha told Bahia is true. <laughs> this, is, this is what is. It's not more than this. Any 
feeling that it's more than this is uh, a fabrication of the mind and an attachment and a, 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 a clinging to that fabrication. But just to see it at, at, uh, in this way. And, and all of the suffering that uh, we experience in our lives is, is proceeding from attaching to the, the simple experience in, in one way or another so as to resist it, long for it to be some other way, uh, or um, in, in some way distort uh, what uh, is the simple reality of things. So it's like this. It's, <laughs> it's really, uh, I, think he's, I think he's nailing it. He's spot on. It's not more than this. And Buddhist practice, uh, you know, thank goodness we've discovered it. Uh, each one of us, and because it, it, it cuts through all of the attachment. It cuts through that tendency to, to glom on to things. You know, one of the insights that's mentioned in the um, fourth foundation of mindfulness is where the Buddha's talking about the sense bases and the objects of those. And he says that, you, you know, there is the eye that sees and the things that it sees. And, and then there's this, the fetter that arises in relation to those two. That's the attachment. <laughs> That's the craving. And, and if we're, what we tend to do is live in that fetter, <laughs> live in that uh, craving and, and conceit and view-making. And, and, uh, but that, once that's seen, uh, it cuts through it. You know, Ajahn Chah said that it was actually that particular teaching that he received as a young monk that was the, um, the, the cornerstone of his own liberation. Something as simple as that. <laughs> the, the eye, the object, and the <laughs> you know, and we're trying to get a grip or an understanding of, of that, uh, the, the pain and the, the suffering that's associated with the grabbing. And it, it's in the direct experience of that the direct observation of that and the feeling of what that feels like to live that way, that the, the mind lets go. It, it just begins to, to release and, and, and stop going there. And, you know, in, in our own ways, we're all experiencing that in one way or another. You know, I, I call it my inklings. You know, every now and then I, I, I experience a... Uh, Periods where you're just not doing that. It's like a, Ajahn Amar calls it the inklings of nibbana. You get a you get a taste for freedom. So what this sets us up for then is the the insights of in, the major insights of insight meditation. From this vantage point, then one is able to observe very directly the impermanent suffering and selfless uh, nature of it all. And once, as those inf- uh, insights mature, they, they, uh, our understanding starts to influence our practice. And this is where we say that practice gets, starts to get a lot easier. You know, because if you've seen the dukkha of grasping, you do it less. <laughs> you know? If you see the, 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 the difficulty in... Uh, trying to make things secure and permanent, then you do it less. You know, if you see the harm of, uh, of self-view, then you, you do it less and eventually um, stop doing it altogether. 
So this is, this is the process. <laughs> uh, I hope in uh, some, some small way the, the offerings are, are useful to you in your practice. Shall we sit just a moment and then we'll do a chant? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.